0: Amen. We're gathered together in the glowing, beautiful, dynamic presence of our Almighty God, and we feel so good that we can be here with Him, meeting with Him in His sanctuary. We are His people. We are a broken, struggling people. We are the sheep of His pasture, and He loves us, and He cares about us, and He knows. Even when one hair is removed from our head, he knows our coming, he knows our going, and he just knows, he knows. And so, one more time this morning, we would like to look into the beautiful, unchanging Word of God to see if there's any adjustment that I might need to make so that I may be more proficient, more dynamic more beautiful, more attractive in God's kingdom. I think that's your desire. That's why you're here, and I I thank you for coming night after night. You are a very, very beautiful people, but you're a needy people, and you're broken. We have problems. We have issues that we need to deal with. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we find everything we find the massage, we find the medicine, the medication, the dynamics, everything we need in order to get over those haunting, hurtful things that we encounter throughout life because life is not fair. And the reason why life is not fair is because God is not fair. Did you know that? I did not say he's not just, I just said God is not fair. If God would be fair in every aspect of life, theologically speaking, there'd be no salvation because Jesus Christ did not suffer to die for you and for me. God is not fair, he's just. Life is not fair, so you have an option. We all have an option. We can stumble through life, we can load all the cares and worries. And gutter things that have happened to us in a burlap bag, and we can we can throw them up over our back and we can go through life with the very things that we hate, embracing, embracing the very things that we hate. Or we can get release. It's either forgiveness or it's bitterness. It's forgiveness or it's bitterness. And I would say, in my little inexperienced pastoral experience and getting around a little bit that I think this is what I would like to speak about this morning is that very subject, and this is where we struggle the most, in unforgiving spirit, having an unforgiving spirit in bitterness. We don't rob banks. We don't shoot people or do drugs. We tend not to commit the sins of the flesh, but we struggle with the hidden sins of the spirit. And we put people out of church when they commit the sins of the flesh or things that are external. If I'd come in here with a shorts on and the muscle shut, you'd say, out of the pulpit. And rightly so. But I could come in here harboring some evil will or maybe be abusive to my wife in one way or the other, and you wouldn't even maybe know about it, or maybe you would say, well, that's how the foxes always were, and you might even let me preach. We've got to stop. that mentality and call the sins of the spirit sin. This is where we struggle. This is why we divide in churches. This is why marriages are on the rocks because we don't treat the sins of the spirit in the same fashion that we treat the sins of the flesh. Now, Maybe you don't agree with that. Check your conference out. Check it out. Yep. Old great-grandpa Burkholder, grandpa Burkholder, he can be harsh, he can be critical, and we we just say that's how they always were. Didn't I say that Thursday night? And we go through council, we go through communion, and there's disorder, there's Disharmony beneath the surface, and that's just how the Burkholders always were. I mean, that's just how he is. I mean, he's been a member of this church for 40 years, and he put a lot of money in the offering. And if it wouldn't be for Grandpa Burkholder, we wouldn't have a schoolhouse. He's untouchable. Wrong. Get a grip. Get real. I have a gut feeling this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, that there are some yet that are struggling in this audience. So, as a springboard, get your Bibles, please. Get your Bibles and go to First. Cor- I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter seven. We already alluded to this verse. We sideswiped this most beautiful and important verse. Earlier in the week, I forget which week, sometimes actually I like to commit it to memory. I did not ask you to do that here this week because we only started on Thursday night. But this is a good verse to really let it sink down into your heart and allow it to change your life and bring perfection to our spirits. That is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, that is what precedes in chapter 6, We don't have time to look at that. Dearly beloved, let us, what's that next word? I ask you already, say it again, please, with energy. Cleanse Cleanse ourselves from all, yep, missed the word all. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit. They're saying so we can repeat, we can be redundant with the word filthy, So there's probably no warm body in the audience this morning that over the years of your life you've committed adultery or fornication. There's a great possibility in this Anabaptist setting in which I'm speaking this morning not one of us have ever committed adultery or fornication. That's not bad. That's not good. I'm sorry. That's not not bad. That's good. We should not be doing those things. But how about in our spirits? The spirit of intrapsychic idolization, when it's about me, when I feel I have the right to do what I want to do, what I want to think, the attitudes that develop in my mind, I have the right to feel that way because of the offense that was committed against me. And we can rear up and we can have hair out the back like a German shepherd. Our daughter has a huge male German shepherd. He hates the neighbor's horse and I don't know why. But whenever they get that horse out, he has that deep throated. Growl hair up in the back. I don't know why. But you know, we can do that sometimes inside. And we run the risk to do it inside because we think nobody notices it on the outside. Well, maybe they don't, but God looks on the inside. Where's my brain? Where's my depth of spirituality when I'm more concerned about what you might see in me on the outside than what God can see about me on the inside? Did I say that correctly? So having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, I want you to know that every warm body here this morning, I don't care where you come from, I don't care what your sex is, what what your lot in life is, and we come from a lot of different lots of life, I can guarantee you there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of broken in this congregation this morning. If you are an average Anabaptist people, if you are real people, and I'm not tending to see any wings sprouting, and hopefully, neither did I see horns growing, but we are a broken people. We hurt. We have been hurt. And every one of us here this morning, if you're honest, there is a monster person in your life that makes life difficult for you. But let me hasten to say, lest you forget, there's a great possibility you might be someone else's monster. Okay, so now we leveled that off real fast. So the Bible says... ...that we are to be cleansed. It doesn't say that if you're in a good mood... ...or if your last name is Stolzfus... ...or if God didn't die or whatever... ...or if there's not ice on the trees... ...and the rivers didn't run dry... ...if you want to... ...you can cleanse yourselves from these things. This is the command. This is the command. We are to be cleansed from the filthiness of the flesh... ...and the filthiness of the spirit. Get a grip. Do it. The filthiness of the spirit. So if my wife would come in here without a prayer veiling... ...or back home... You know, we would deal with that because we can see it. It's out there, a prayer veiling, No prayer veiling, no membership. We make it a test of membership. But then why do we put up, Then I already said it, I'm being redundant, with sins of the Spirit when we say we can't touch them? That's not truth. That's a lie. By the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the illumination of God, being shepherds of God, we need to be able to put our fingers On the sins of the spirit that lurk in the shadows and in the hearts of us, me. And deal with it and call it sin. Jealousy, insubordination, greed, uh, filthiness of the flesh, pornography, you name it. All those things lurk. We fight with those things. An unforgiving spirit, it's real. It's where the rubber hits the road. Come on. Get a grip. You know it. And I know it. You all got a monster in your life. You have a monster. Yeah, you do. Most of you. Maybe it's not a person. It could be an incident. Life is not fair. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to make yourself your own slave? Are you going to imprison yourself in your own bag of bones? Or are you going to appropriate the love and the grace of God? We talked about that last night. Why do we settle for so less than the best? Why do we fight and war and carry on these issues that God did not intend us to be fighting in too many times as Anabaptist conservative people were fighting the wrong battle? Amen. You might not like me. I didn't come to be liked. I got over that 30 years ago after I've been preaching a few years. And then that, that after that, I started preaching. Now, if I'm uncouth and I make mistakes, then I, I really care. But when it's a doctrinal salvation issue, I, I got over the idea of caring. Yeah, we tolerate too much. We're fighting wars. We're in struggles God did not intend us to be in. And the reason why we're in them is because we do not appropriate the power and the beauty and the glory of heaven. To get over these issues. Go with me to Matthew. The master missionary taught us how to pray. The master missionary, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught us how to pray. And I want to notice several very, very beautiful, important things in the Lord's Prayer, particularly in the book of Matthew. And to save some time, maybe I'll say this, that we notice theologically that when Jesus Christ... Taught us how to pray. And even in the prayer of John chapter 17, we notice that prayer has four basic characteristics. Now, the first one is adoration. And then there's supplication, intercession, and consecration. Those four biblical concepts should be in every prayer that you pray. Write those words down. Put it on your refrigerator or on your mirror. And... Remember that when we pray, we need to pray the way the Lord Jesus Christ taught us. Number one is adoration. We begin our prayer with adoration. Number two is supplication. Supplication is when we pray on behalf of ourselves. We see ourselves as a sinful, broken people. And we pour our hearts and our problems before God as you would a bucket of water. Number three is intercession. That is when we pray to God and on behalf of other people who are less fortunate than myself. And number four is consecration. We always end our prayer in consecration to Almighty God. We give Him. You see, everybody here this morning, you have a life, right? Do you have a heartbeat? Do you have a temperature? That means... That means that we're alive in every warm body that's here this morning. Let me say something. We're in two classes. Either your body, your life is either an altar or an idol. It's an altar or it's an idol. You cannot get away from it. So now I would like to read the Lord's Prayer and then show you one very, very important thing in it that we want to discuss here this morning. After this manner, verse 9, I'm in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6. After this manner, therefore, you are to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. How do you like that? Wow. Give us this day our daily bread. Read verse 12 with me. This is King James. And forgive us our debtors. Equal to, or as we forgive our debtors. Let me read that again. Sorry, I sort of messed up. I shouldn't have interfered. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we. Equal to, to the same degree. As we forgive those who trespass against us harm us, speak evil of us, offend us, tear us down, critique us, and despise us, to the same degree. So, if this would be true, just what if this would be true? What if this would be true? Because the fact is, it is. And so... The fact that this is true, how many people sitting in our conservative churches are outside of salvation, inside of membership, outside of salvation because we are harboring a root of bitterness and revenge against somebody who offended me, and my offense, while at the same time, let me say, my personal offense against the Lordship of Jesus Christ is much greater. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Why do I feel I have the intestinal audacity to hold someone else down and in revenge where at the same time I trespass redundantly against the will of our Father which is in heaven? Who are we? What type of intestinal fortitude is that? When I lift up myself to the position of God and say, God, there is somebody down there on earth and maybe you were violated. Maybe you got out, chipped out of the business or been sexually mistreated. Those things happen. Oh. But God has appropriated everything that we need in order to supply us with the grace and the mercy to forgive those people because what God forgave me is much greater than that. How many people on the day of judgment are going to be lost because we could not forgive? Could there be somebody here in this audience this morning, you go back 10 years, 3 years, 20 years, you've been violated, you've been mistreated, life is not fair, and it's still, it's still smothering you. It's pounding you down. It's, it's, I mean, you take that thing to bed. You take it to the table. You drive down the road. You take it to work. You think, I'm going to go on a vacation. We're going to Colorado. You take that thing right with you. There's no getting away from it. You wrap that thing around you like duct tape. You're smothering in it. And all the while, we can come out to church all nice and put together. How many people are going to open up their eyes in hell? Because they did not forgive. And maybe you have a bad situation. I'm not lessening, lessening, making lesser. Your situation, you may have been raped. Horrible, terrible, indeed, beyond doubt. But I'm saying the top is much greater than the bottom. The grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ and the propensity to come in and clean us up and help us and deliver us from those awful remembrances and feelings of that drastic demonic situation are so great. So then it goes on and it says, Lead us not into, tem- Sorry. Lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there's one thing I want to notice. here about the Lord's Prayer. He only goes back and reiterates over one point. Now, there are very, very few times in the teaching of Jesus where he's done this. If you you love, it's called bibliology. There's no doctrine in it. But if you study your Bible and the teachings of Jesus, there are a few times when the disciples came and said, hey Jesus, what what did you mean by that? Usually he did not. Here, where he's telling the disciples to pray, he shows them how to pray, he gives them the four points of prayer, and then he comes back and says, now I, I want to remark, I want to strengthen on something I taught you to pray, and I want you to never forget it. Here's what he says in verse 14. After he says, amen. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, their sins, their offenses against you, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses and sins against Him. So do you see this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer whereupon our salvation is based? And so if you're here this morning, let me say it very, very clearly. I just want to say it very, very clearly. The everlasting gospel, we don't need to rest it. We don't need to fight over and water it down or decimate it or try and change it. The fact is that if you're here this morning, any of us, that could be me. And if I have a grudge, if I have a hatred towards someone, I'm not forgiving them in my spirit. I am lost. And so are you. Life is not fair. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you've been a victim. You've been victimized, maybe repeatedly. Maybe you're a victim of sexual abuse, maybe incest. These things should never once be named among us, but you know what? They are. Do you have an abuse policy in your church, your congregation, a sex, sexual abuse protection policy? You should. There could, there could be. And let me hasten to say that if this has happened to anyone in this audience or any other offense and you've forgiven and it's healed over, I do not mean to re-irritate. I'm speaking to those of us who maybe are struggling without the assurance of salvation because there's an offense. There's a spirit in our life that is smothering us. So maybe there's somebody here, you've been a victim of rape, or maybe, maybe not that, maybe it's just sexual insensitivity. Maybe you've been socially mistreated at school. Maybe you didn't have talents and you couldn't hit a baseball. Maybe you've been mocked, maybe you stuttered and you couldn't speak right, you had to list. And people laughed at you, you couldn't sing, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket like we say, and those things were painful and they were hurtful. And you covered it up, overcompensated, doing things maybe that were wrong in order to try and cover your pain. We call it pain medication. Maybe there's somebody in here, you've been medicating, you're not really being real. There are unresolved issues in your life, and they probably could crop up in your marriage. I mean, maybe I'm wading way out too deep for you nice little saints tucked away here in southern Virginia. I don't think you're that innocent, are you? No. Maybe you're a victim of harsh verbal abuse. Maybe by your father. Maybe you had abusive parents. I don't know. You may have. And it was terrible. What are you going to do about it? Sometimes, like I said, we have a propensity in our humanism to collect the very things that we hated. We load them on our back. We get married and have children. And the very thing that we hate, we precipitate. We, we treat them. Our children with the very same methods that we hated from our parents and so it goes on generation after generation and usually it magnifies it doesn't decrease it usually gets worse it's called generational sins maybe there's somebody here this morning you're struggling from some type of family abuse by parents maybe a spouse Maybe you've been cheated on or deceived by a friend. Somebody stabbed you in the back. You meant to help them. And they turn around and say nasty, derogatory things about you. You know, we're a broken people. We're hurting. Maybe a bad business deal. Maybe it's a family heritage settlement didn't go your way. Maybe you got cheated out of $12,000. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where your pain is. I don't know where your hurt is. And I'm not the type of person. I'm not the type of pastor who believes that there's a devil behind every bush. And everybody in the congregation has been raped and all that. I'm just saying too many times we don't preach specifically enough. and, And there are dots of people that are existing on our pews and we never reach them. I'm going after you. I do not believe that. Two out of four women here got raped and, and one out of three men got busted in their business out of a $40,000 deal. But it could be there's two or three or four of you that are still living in that pain and you're carrying it forward. You're projecting it into your life. The people that are around you and they are suffering because you never took care of it yourself. I'm going after you. So let me show you quickly something in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we have Peter here talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, then came Peter unto Jesus, and he said, Lord, how often must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, a whole whopping seven times? That monster in your life who mocks you? And mistreats you at work. Or an uncompassionate, no wait, in uncompassionate, an insensitive spouse. How many times? I mean, Peter thought, hey, I'm I mean, I'm going the second mile, I'm going the seventh mile. Jesus, a whopping seven times. How often do I gotta put up with this prick in my life? I mean, this this jagger, this annoyance is what I meant to say. In my life, seven times? Jesus said to him, verse 22, I say unto you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I don't think he meant 490. I think what he's saying here is that the grace of God, heaven is full enough, there's enough of compaction, there's enough of grace and mercy in heaven that we can be free from these things that annoy us. We can be free, free from these things that, that we detest and the, those horrible, hurtful feelings and experiences that we have gone through life. The grace of God is so much greater. The top is so much greater than the bottom, but we need to appropriate ourselves to it and deal with it. And like I said, there could be somebody here this morning you never appropriated. Maybe you've been mechanical, you've been hurt, you've been legalistic. and so you harm yourself, you harm those around you. And so Jesus gives an account here of a Lord who had several servants. And so you know the one, you know the story. The one came and he owed him some money. couldn't pay it. And so he forgave him that very servant, that very servant who was forgiven a great debt. Stay with me. Stay with me. That very person, that very church member at Ebenezer Mennonite Church, South Boston, Virginia, who was forgiven a tremendous debt by his master, goes over here to this side of the church and he picks on another brother who owes him two nickels and he says, Give me my nickels. And he casts him into prison and you know the whole story. So after God would be willing to forgive me, who am I when I'm this big, ugly, nasty, separated monster in the eyes of God? And he can come down and pick me up like a roadkill. Can you imagine in Hot July Sun a groundhog roadkill and you say, oh, wife, there's a dead groundhog. I'm going to stop. I'm going to scoop up this matter, this mess full of worms and maggots, scoop it up and breathe into it life. Now, I know the groundhog's an animal. I'm just making a comparison. Probably my sin and debauchery in the eyes of God is greater than the pollution of that groundhog to me. And in such a state, he picks me up. And then I go find someone else. I can't forgive. It's like one maggot going to another maggot and say, you are one stinky, filthy maggot. But you're the same thing. Eh? But what I'm going to show you here, here's our problem. Here's where we fight. Here's where we go amiss. Verse 35, So likewise, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Now you notice who Jesus is talking to here, right? He's talking to the church members of the early. Well, that's not quite true. He's talking to the religious people, Jews. and the. He's not talking to the heathen Greeks. He's talking to the disciples and the church members. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. That means us here today, right? It's applicable to us today. Eh? Amen? This is what he's going to do to us. If... We from our what? Hearts. Hearts. There's the issue. We do enough to get by. Sometimes, I'm afraid, we do enough to satisfy the deacon. We do enough to satisfy the church. And we'll come up here and we'll make a public confession. You know, ministry, we've got to be so careful with public confessions that we who are in church leadership and assume a certain amount of authority in the structure of the church don't impose or threaten and get people to make a public confession so now it's all whitewashed and we putty and we plaster and we get them up front here and they make a confession but inside the heart it's still the same a man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still but to lead people to true heart Repentance. It's easy to deal with things the easy way, the quick way, the deacon way, maybe. Let's, let's, hey, we, I mean, we don't want to lose our testimony in the community. We got to take care of this issue. Okay, so maybe I'm being too churchy about that, but sometimes we go on in our struggles. Stay with me. We go on in our struggles because we do not forgive. From the heart. Go to Colossians 3. Colossians, we've been in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, and 14. Real quickly. Are you there? All right. Colossians 3, verse 12, 13, and 14, put on therefore. Now, is that a command or what? Put on. You see, this is where we go astray. We think these are options. So then we have our church discipline, and we say, they're not options. You're not going to be a member of this church if you come in with shorts and muscle shirts. I mean, this is a church discipline. This isn't an option. We get real churchy there then what, what, why don't we do the same thing here? See, this doesn't make sense to me. Come on, get a grip. Here's what the Bible says. This is what my Bible says. This is what yours says. He says, put on. This is a command. We're talking about new life in Jesus Christ. Verse 1, if you are risen with Christ, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to respond. This is God's requirements for holy living. Do you know what we're talking about all weekend? We're talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about church standards. I'm not talking about church structure. I'm not getting churchy. I'm just telling you what you have got to do in order to get to heaven. These are these are more than just prerequisites. Well, okay, they're prerequisites. These are commandments. This is God wants us. This is what he wants us to do. He expects us to do it and he He has all this energy and power and glory in heaven to help us get it done. Do it. Why do we struggle and do battle with things God never intended us to be doing? I don't know. Why do we do that? Why are we still fighting World War II? There's still belligerent men back there in Vietnam, old Vietnam. Troops that didn't want to be there in the first place. Their buddies were all burning their draft cards. Didn't want to go to Vietnam. Had to go to Vietnam. Come home missing a leg. They're bitter. They're ugly. They're still down in the rice paddies of Vietnam. And too many times when I get into churches, we're still down in those filthy, muddy rice paddies of our past life. Fighting in issues that Jesus shed his blood in order That we can overcome and be overcomers. Put on therefore as the elect of God. Holy and beloved. Bows of mercies. What's the next word? Kindness. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long suffering. Forbearing one another. And read this with me. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you. That's what you do to the other. Why don't we do it? Why do we lollygag? Why do we grope in darkness? Why do we live in bitterness? When we don't need to. Why not step into the light? Why not cut the cords of bondage? and bitterness. So you close at 12, right? Know, sir. Yeah, you lied a little bit there. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> go to Hebrews. See, here's where we go water skiing. Here, here, here's where we You know, we just ought to stop water skiing. Submerse yourself. Submerse yourself in the energy and the beauty and the light and the freedom of Jesus Christ. Why don't we do it? Listen, he came to set the captives free. Amen? Amen. Is there a person here this morning? You are captive of yourself. You've been abused. You've been abused. And it was horrible. Why stay in the prison that you hate? When the gates can be flung open by the person and glory and power of Jesus Christ. Why do you stay in the devil's prison when you could be set free like a bird? I don't know either. I don't know why you would do that. And maybe there's nobody here this morning that's doing that. And if not, praise God, at least this sermon will help you to keep from ever doing it. It's good maintenance. Eh? Okay, Hebrews twelve. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews for several reasons. I would, if I had two minutes, I would tell you why. I think didn't I say Hebrews twelve? Okay. Okay. Th- don't even go there. Fourteen. Now listen. This is not an option. This is a command. In order for spiritual victory, is there anybody here this morning that does not want to live? in the beautiful delivering dynamics of spiritual victory. You'll want to be there. Then go do it. Go do it! If that's what you like, if you long for peace, if you long for freedom, get it. It's in front of you. Immeasurable volumes. Follow peace with all men, verse 14. Follow peace with all men. This is the command. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So, what the Bible here is saying is exactly what it's saying. <laughs> exactly what it's saying. Don't make it difficult. It's simple. Preaching is simple. The preacher just gets up and says, Here's what God is saying. And he loves it. And he, it's just what God is saying. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man's going to see God. So if there's not peace in your heart, if you're not living a holy lifestyle, I want you to know right now, before the day of judgment, so that you're not shocked out of your skins that you're not going to see God. You're not going to see Him. I didn't say that. I didn't make this qualification. I'm just telling you what God said, and He meant it. God never tries to do Nothing. He doesn't try. He's never surprised. He gets it said, and it comes out, and its effect is exactly the way he designed it. He never has to put it back in, shuffle it around, and bring it back out again and redo it. Like when my wife sews dresses, it's sew a little bit, rip a lot, sew a little bit, rip a lot, until it's perfect. And I'm glad she likes to be have nice, perfect dresses. You know, God doesn't do that. He doesn't sew and rip and sew and rip and sew and rip. He sews and it's done. And he knew what it's going to look like before he started. And so he's saying, I want you to know this, that if you're not holy and you don't live at peace with one another, you're not going to see me because the thing that makes me what I am, the very epitome. You know what that word means? The very epitome of me is holiness and peace and love. And if you're going to be my child, if you're going to be my sons and my daughters, that's part of my characteristic that you need to match I'm not going to give you my authority. I'm not going to give you my sovereignty. I'm not going to give you my supremacy. But I'm going to give you my peace and my joy and my holiness. And if you don't have that, you're never going to walk in my presence. You're never going to see my face. You will not see me. Did I explain that well? Thank you. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. What warm body here this morning, what Anabaptist, Lutheran, or Pentecostal, whoever you are, well, I'm in an Anabaptist church, why did I say that? Would want to fail the grace of God. Dumb question. Lest any, what does it say, root of bitterness, springing up, trouble you, and thereby, what's the next word? Oh, I just wish that word wouldn't be in there. I wish it wouldn't say, there's a very light sprinkling of all the Anabaptists around the whole world, church-going, church-fearing people, the Lutherans and all, whoever. There's, there's, just, there's just a little sprinkling of people who are defiling themselves, Drowning themselves in their own perdition, destroying themselves in their own prison, harming themselves, separating themselves in their own demonic bitterness. I say demonic because bitterness does not come from God, does it? And rebellion and hatred. So if it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Come on, the devil. I'm done. Period. Thank you for the water and the ice. So there's something that I don't know. There's something that I know. What I don't know is if there's anybody here that's struggling. I don't know if there's somebody here. If there's young people among us who are not yet saved, you want to get saved today. The Bible says today. It's a day of salvation. That doesn't mean that God holds young people at the age of accountability like this. That as soon as they don't accept Him, that first revival meeting, but they feel uncomfortable, that God drops them. No, God does not do that with children. So I don't want you to be scared. An evangelist should never, never, never scare children into the kingdom. But if you're here and you want to get saved, you're not comfortable. Get saved. Stand up, stand up, stand up. If you're here and you're not sure, if you're here and you're not sure, get sure. Stop playing that Anabaptist game. Stop it. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about Christianity. I'm talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. Get a grip. Hear my heart. Don't you think I'm against Anabaptists? There is not another group of people, there's not another worldview in the world whose worldview of theology is more accurate to the tenor and tone of God's word than the way Anabaptists interpret it. But. We cannot never, ever, ever get to heaven on the shirt tails of being an Anabaptist. God's not going to say, well, here's the Anabaptists. Don't you think I'm against Anabaptists? I'm just saying, get off that high. Get off that shelf. Get off the church members of, oh, I'm secure in the church. Well, if you're outside of Jesus Christ, you're not secure in the church, let me say this morning. Ever have me back again. I'm not looking for more work anyhow. <laughs> I need to retire in a few years. Pastor Nathan and I are going to put us out to pasture here shortly. So we got to quickly get it said while we're still inside. Eight. We'll let the younger guys like Josh take over. Praise God. Go far beyond us, Josh. Go far beyond us. Okay, so if you're not comfortable this morning, get to your feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I lift this beautiful people up to you. I know that we're a struggling people. Uh, Most of us, I'm sure, are struggling in victory. There could be one or two or three that are struggling in defeat. And, Lord, we want to compromise. We want to hide. We want to overcompensate. We want to medicate our pain and make excuses that, well, I'm a church member and, you know, I dress nicely and I don't kill people. Well, thank you, God. I'm glad you don't. Lord, but our own self-righteousness is like it's filth to you. And it's the blood of Jesus that brings release. It's the blood of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus that brings redemption and sets us free. Lord, I plead the blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so there's going to be a short invitation. Get to your feet, get to your feet, and then we'll meet in the back. Now, Hopefully all those that stood last night went back. Don't get to your feet and then not go back. If, If you're here, you have a need in your life. It might be in an area I didn't even mention. This is the beauty about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He picks up all the all the attempts of a old Lancaster County Dutch preacher, and he compensates and he fills in all the blanks and he meets all our needs with feeble little human attempts. Thank you, God. Get to your feet. Okay, so where's our song leader? Who was that? Okay, get to your feet. Let's sing. And we'll sing a verse or two. We're not going to go along. Please respond quickly. Come for help. Shall we sing? I heard voice of Jesus yes. Somebody else? Somebody else? Quickly. I was, and and I found in place, One minute. So this next verse is for everybody. It's especially for those who might be at the age of accountability. I know I was probably plowing deeper than the, cho- the young people, maybe. We were, I, was, I was plowing deeper. But I don't want to neglect there's young people here that God is calling you to become a Christian. This next verse is for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Because you are among people just like you. We're sinners, rebels, saved by grace. You're at the right place. But it's for everybody, but especially for these young children that I wasn't so much doing evangelistic. I was more shooting for revival. Does that make sense? This is for you. body. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your books away. Keep your hearts open. Come again tonight. Thank you for your attendance. That was a beautiful song, sung beautifully by a very beautiful group of people. God bless you and have mercy upon you and give you grace, give you peace. All right. Any other announcements or anything else before we close? Should we stand and do the Lord's Prayer again? eh?